Up in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Well hello and welcome to another edition of Freaky Friday Where we tell your odd but true stories Today is Friday, September 15th our story connoisseur, Christy Wallace, has cultivated quite a lineup for us today. It This runs the gamut between cryptid folklore to true crime to cult to premonitions. This is like an all-topic sinisterhood episode. It's everything that we discuss in one Freaky Friday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and uh, a lot of these are because... They they heard other people tell mm-hmm. their stories. So, like, we always see the power of storytelling and how something can spark a memory in someone that you forgot even right. happened to you. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I did go through something similar to that. It unlocks a memory. And then we thank you all for going to SinisterHead.com slash contact and choosing to share it with us. We really appreciate it because this show does not exist without you. So thank you very much. Thank you so very much. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from W and it is called My Coworker Slash Friend, The Murderer. W writes, Hi, ladies. I can't tell you how much I love Sinisterhood. My story begins in 2014 in a safe Connecticut town. All of the Dateline descriptions about a sleepy, no one locks their doors type of community apply. When a woman was stabbed and left for dead while jogging on a popular trail. She was a mother, athlete, and a successful businesswoman. It was unbelievably tragic, and even more so when the case went cold. One town over from this horrible crime, I was the most awkward 16-year-old girl imaginable, rocking my first part-time job at a grocery store. At the time of the murder, James, name changed, had also been working there for a couple of months. He seemed shy but nice. I enjoyed working alongside him. He is a bagger and I as a cashier. And over the next four years, we developed a casual work-based friendship. I genuinely liked him. That brings us to the fall of 2018. The murder was still unsolved. I had graduated college and quit the grocery store gig when a friend texted me that one of my former coworkers had confessed to the murder. I still remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I Googled the story and saw that the murderer was James, my friend. After joining a church, he had confided in his pastor who convinced him to confess to police. In the confession, James explained that while on a walk, he spotted and was attracted to the jogger. After deciding she was, quote, out of his league, he became enraged and stabbed her. He brought the police to his grandparents' old barn, where they found a bloody glove hidden behind a wall, confirming his guilt. He also admitted to throwing the knife away in the trash compactor of the grocery store where we worked. I feel sick to my stomach thinking of this amazing woman murdered by someone she never met because he thought she was out of his league. Is that not the most toxic masculinity bullshit 
you've ever heard. It's terrifying that I knew this man for five years, both before and after he was a murderer, and liked him. A lot came out about James after his confession, including the fact that he was previously charged with sexual assault of a minor. James used to ask myself and other girls from work over to see his garden, and while we all declined, it terrifies me to think of what may have happened if any of us went. I hope the woman's family can find some healing in the fact that justice is finally being served to the monster who took her away from them. Here's an article about James and the case, if you're interested. Oh, W, that this case is eerie. I clicked that link. And to think you work next to a person who used your work trash compactor to dispose of a murder weapon of a crime so violent and so like, impulsive, it seems. To say that is the most toxic masculinity bullshit I've ever heard is yeah. an understatement. I mean, this is pinnacle of incel, problematic, disgusting mm-hmm. behavior to literally see a woman and be mad at her. Because you don't think you could get her because you're not attractive enough or you're not whatever enough to get her attention. Therefore, it's her fault and she's now going to lose her life over it. It's it's absurd. And the fact that you work next to him, I'm so glad nothing happened to you or any of your friends. Probably on some level, your gut was like, we don't need to go see his garden. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. We have vegetables at the grocery store. It's fine. We don't have yeah. to go all the way to his house. But you're right, because he said in the one of his confessions to police is that I was driving down the road and saw her jogging. I thought, oh, she's beautiful. I want to I want to go talk to her. And then when I approached her, something happened. I realized she was out of my league. I panicked. I went into a frenzy and just stabbed her in the heart. And he had the knife with him. Yes, and he had it with him, which kind of tells you Mm -hmm. how much of a surprise. He said he wanted to scare her. And the really sick thing is that he was living with uh, some relatives in Connecticut. He had done this crime in a prior state in Colorado and was right when he moved there, his relatives kind of wrote letters and said, oh, there was this misunderstanding and he's a sex offender. But, you know, they just kind of make him sign things. It's not really a big deal. Well, in this article, when you kind of get down to it, it's like, no, he had this long standing history of abusing a child in this case and like you see someone who wants to exercise dominion over another creature for their own sexual gratifications you don't just like shake it off especially when your family members are saying oh it's no big deal it was just a misunderstanding it's like this was a series of abusive events that occurred over a several month period you were a trusted adult in this person's life i don't think we can just say it was a misunderstanding and so that grocery store needs to look at their hiring practices the state of connecticut investigating how much are you watching convicted yeah. sex criminals because it's just that woman was jogging she did nothing she woke no. up that day for she's a triathlete we we deserve to exercise out in public wherever we want to yeah we should have that right without being afraid that we're Going to be murdered. Mm -hmm. So when you're convicted of a sexual crime, you have to put it on every job application, correct? Yep. Basically, any kind of government record when it asks, have you been convicted of a felony or something like that? Well, it depends. And that's you get into a whole other area of like employment law of like whether and to what extent people should have to uh, disclose prior felonies. To me, if it's a crime of moral turpitude and you're entrusted with money, I think you should have to disclose that. If it's a crime that involves, uh, in this case, 
pattern of a prolonged sexual abuse of a child. I don't care if it happened when you were 20. I, I think we deserve to know someone that has that yeah. predilection. I'm sorry if that's a hot take. I don't think it's a hot take. And I don't think like it's like you said a minute ago, it's not something that just goes away. It's yes. not a phase yes. that you went through. It's a mental health disorder that you need to get yes. help for. And that everyone that is working with you, I think has the right to be aware of. He should not have been what he, and he, and he started as a bagger and worked his way up in that grocery store to being an assistant front end manager or something absolutely should have no contact with, in my opinion, this what not the law, but I think as a grocery store chain, having some type of liability, that man should not have had access to a 16 year old employee period. Full stop. Thank God nothing happened. Not only that, but children go into grocery stores all the time. So, I mean, you know, like things happen. Mm It doesn't take long for something life-changing to happen. We clearly saw that with the victim on the trail. So, absolutely. More checks and balances. I don't know if he did write it down. And like you said, his family called and was like, yeah, it was a misunderstanding. Well, you know who could just tell you the truth? The police. So just call them and see what all those charges were about. Yeah, no, exactly. And the the grocery store chain, the grocery store chain said, "Oh, well, we're going to reexamining our hiring practices." Yeah, well, that's good. Probably do that. Yeah, I bet that that um, the woman who lost her life, her family would really appreciate that. But it's a little too late. Oh no! And yeah, they, you can't just make it up for it. But the the church goer, like the fellow parishioner who he initially told this to. All credit to her that she was like, let's tell the pastor and his wife. And then with the pastor and his wife present is like, so, you know, you got to go to the cops, right? Because if you're a woman one-on-one with a person who said, I I freaked out and stabbed a woman in the Mm -hmm. chest, it, you know, you might go, ah, we need some other folks, but not to say, oh, let's cover it up. The church will forgive you or whatever. I mean, full stop right away. They're like, okay, well, you know, the next step, right? And he went to the police. If he were to confess something like that in a confession with the priest, is that priest parishioner confidentiality to where they are not required to report it? Yeah, like a priest penitent privilege or you call it like a clergy or a confessional privilege. It varies from state to state, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, you, the Supreme Court have said that the clergy privilege is rooted into this need for confidence and trust with your clergy members. So you have to be able to kind of tell them anything you want. And so they have this duty to hold in confidence what you tell them in these counseling sessions, essentially. And you can be sued for invasion of privacy or defamation or whatever, but it's based on the First Amendment right in the Constitution, that that's kind of a way I get to go tell my therapist stuff secularly, and I know my therapist won't tell anybody. So because you you have a right to free religious practice, if instead of a therapist, you want to talk to a priest, you should have a similar right to have an unabated free exchange. It depends on what federally or what state it is. If someone says, imminently, same with a, a therapist or whatever, imminently, I'm on my way right now to go kill somebody. I really, you know, this is the day that I'm going to go kill all my coworkers. And I brought, you know, I have weapons in my car. And the second that I leave this church, that's where I'm going. Then he can call the, you know, the police, the yeah. priest can go out and call the police. But imminent if, danger. But yeah, if you just kind of go, I don't know, I've been feeling bad about it. You, you, you don't. Yeah. So I wonder if he had reported it only to the priest, if it would have made its way to the cops, but because, you know, it was kind of 
a middle person that then told the the priest it was able to circumvent that. Right. Yeah. He and doing it in front of other people too, kind of that's mm-hmm. a good way to break that privilege. So it is like we can make sure this person is off the streets. Well, I'm certainly glad that he is now. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, W, for sending that in. This next one is from Daisy, and the subject line is, I am also in a cult. Hi, ladies. A couple of weeks ago, you had a Freaky Friday letter about Jehovah's Witnesses. I was going to write in then, but life got in the way. Then you had another letter last week from someone who's still trapped inside Jehovah's Witnesses. So that was my sign to immediately drop everything and write my letter. I can corroborate everything Meadow wrote last week. I, like Meadow, was born into the cult, including their discouragement of higher education. In fact, I'm going to university partly as an FU to the society, but also I just really love learning. And a funny side note, when I was still in the religion, we received instruction from the leaders to refer to them as the governing body instead of, quote, the society, because saying the society made them sound like a cult. Ah, well, if it sounds like a duck. Now to address why I'm using a pseudonym, and this may or may not explain why Heather's ex-boyfriend's family didn't shun him. My family is not currently shunning me either. There's a technical reason for this. There are a few different terms to describe when someone leaves the JWs. If they voluntarily leave, in a formal way, by writing a letter to the elders, it's said that they disassociated themselves. If someone gets in trouble and is kicked out, they are disfellowshipped. In both cases, they are to be shunned. Yes, even if it's a child. I remember a 15-year-old girl who got disfellowshipped and none of us could speak to her. It made complete sense at the time, but now I see the cruelty in it. Anyway, neither of those situations apply to me. After I stopped believing in the JW doctrines, I never formally disassociated myself. Instead, I did what apostates call fading. Basically, I just stopped going to the meetings. JWs don't call it church. The building is called a kingdom hall. And instead of saying you're going to church, they say they're going to the meeting. When someone fades or stops going to the meetings, they're considered by the congregation as inactive. So technically, they don't need to be shunned as they are still a member. Some cult members might decide to, quote, mark an inactive person and not speak to them. But that's an individual's choice, not a formal group shunning. And that's why my family isn't shunning me. They just consider me inactive, which is also why I'm using a pseudonym. If anybody learns I wrote this letter, I will be considered an apostate, formally disfellowshipped, and hence shunned by my family. My heart goes out to Meadow and all the other non-believers who must pretend they still believe. JWs know that, quote, worldly people say that the witnesses don't allow members to leave. I remember an elder who once said that this wasn't true. Anybody can leave whenever they want. While that's physically true as the witnesses don't kidnap you, the practice of shunning prevents a lot of people from leaving. If they leave, their whole social support network goes away. Shunning is coercive, mentally distressing, and a human rights violation. Not surprisingly, a lot of people who leave cults that practice shunning end up completing suicide. Y'all mentioned in last week's episode of doing another show on the JWs. I hope you do, since your first one is not available anymore. 
If y'all need any help with the subject, I volunteer myself as a resource. I have so many insights and stories to share. Love and light, Daisy. Well, thank you, Daisy, for writing to us at great personal risk. Yes, that's very much appreciated. And we, of course, will keep all information anonymous and sensitive. And that goes for everybody that doesn't want their real name used or, you know, any kind of email shared or anything. We don't do anything like that. No, definitely. The stakes are so high in a case like this. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting new practice uh, as far as going inactive. I was wondering as far as the, you know, congregant retention plan being like, well, if you show that you have any doubt in this, we will kick you out immediately versus being like, oh, well, you know, if you change your mind, come mm -hmm. on back, let us know. It's like, leave the door open. If you slam it shut and lock it, you're really losing members. And eventually you run out of people. There's only so many humans on the planet. I feel like it's a way for them to game the numbers. Of, That's true too. Well, they're inactive, but they're not disfellowship. So they're technically on the roster as a member. Right? That's true. But they're not coming. You know I mean? It's just like, it's essentially like fading sounds like ghosting. Yeah. And then... Eventually, maybe, like Daisy said, you get marked by someone because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I've noticed Daisy hasn't been coming to the meetings. But for all intents and purposes, you're inactive. So that is a loophole, it seems, to not be shunned by your family because a 15-year-old girl, can you imagine at 15 mm -hmm. doing anything and then your family's like, well, sorry, you're on your own. At 15, when you need, like guidance and parental support more than at any other time that's that's it is a human rights violation very well put that's a good way to put it because it's mm -hmm. like it's psychological torment yeah i spoke to a person who was caught fumbling around as a teenager is wont to do you know freshman in high school age kind of you know nothing crazy found out they were a jw the congregants found out and they had to sit at the back of the kingdom hall shunned completely during the meeting and sat there and i mean so i said so like if you said oh hey bill what's up they would just they said eyes forward they do not talk to you it's dwight Schrute style shun no unshunned all reshun i mean just walk straight by and that it's 13 will, 14 15 yeah that'll make you crazy yeah that's so god to, i mean you you really feel like you're losing your mind to have no one to talk to being able to talk and be social, that's part of being human. And they essentially strip you of that yeah, because you were just doing what all kids do. And they have the ultimate punishment for such a thing. It's true. And you say, oh, well, you know, not talking to somebody or shunning someone or kicking them out of society. Well, if it's a, a community or organization or society that you brought them into by birth or by inviting them in, and then they come to rely on that and then shunning them. There's so many studies about the power of community on not only your mental health, but something as simple as your physical health. Mm -hmm. And our darling friend, Rob Howe, shout out Rob, the host of Diabetics Doing Things, had a table at the Fearless Dallas Summit recently. And we were talking and he and his, he, we were talking about, you know, the community and coming together and stuff. And I learned that there's a large percentage improvement on people's with diabetes health by simply knowing another person with diabetes. So mm -hmm. stuff like that, where like you, your survival rates shoot up, your rates of treatment shoot up, which seems like such a niche, niche thing. But for everyone, you know, if you have diabetes, depression, ADHD, knowing people that you have these things and, and building a community like that. And to say, 
you know, this no longer serves me, but I would still love to have my community. And it's just like, fuck you, the door is shut. It's such a coercive control mechanism. It truly is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I mean, to liken it to improv, which we spent so many of our, what if all of a sudden we were like, uh, you know what? Getting on stage really isn't for me anymore, but I love the community. Mm-hmm. I like coming in t- up here, hanging out with everybody. All my friends are here. And then everyone at that club was like, sorry, you don't want to get on stage. The door is locked to you. Yeah. Yeah. Persona non grata. In <laughs> fact, we'll shut the door and you can be waving and saying hi to us. And we are just going to be like, la, 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 la. We don't hear anything. I mean, that's like mean girls at a lunchroom table type yeah. of philosophies is, is what they do. And to uh, Daisy's point of you wish that you, we would do another episode on the JWs because we did do one very, very early on. It's no longer available. The audio was was garbage. But we talked to a friend on there who is still a friend of ours that also is no longer a JW and had so many of the same stories that we've heard. And because of Daisy and just other people that have written in, we've Meadow, we've received so many people, people DMing us like, please give my personal cell phone number to Meadow because they're in the same Mm -hmm. position and they want to help. And Mm -hmm. so because of that, we uh, are about to do a two-part series on Jehovah's Witnesses. So if anyone has something that they would like to share, you're welcome to email us, Mm -hmm. sinisterhoodpodcast at gmail.com. And of course you can send them into Freaky Friday as well. If you email them because the, you know, we're doing research right now for this, we'd probably see it sooner. And you can just in the subject line, just put, you know, Jehovah's witness info or whatever. And we would love to hear from other people because Mm -hmm. this is a cult that is widely accepted. And when, you know, when there are things like this where you could get 10 people and half of them might be like, oh, yeah, it's a religion. And the other people are like, no, that's a dangerous cult. Mm -hmm. I think that's when the more spotlight can be shown on cults like this, the better. Because these are the ones that are just like out in plain sight. And there's thousands of people. It's not like, you know, the Branch Davidians hold up in a compound. This is like ministering daily mm-hmm. to people everywhere. And so it's a lot more widespread and a lot more accepted because it's considered on its face to be less dangerous and problematic. But I promise you from hearing from so many survivors, it is anything but that. Yeah, I was uh, you and I went to the Dallas Public Library and shout out as always and uh, got a couple of books on Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was like, well, you know, maybe it's not a cult. Well, it's in one called the four major cults. Um, so <laughs> I'm not the we're not the only ones to think this. What are the other three? Uh, in that one, it's Seventh Day Adventist Mormonism and maybe one other one. I can't remember what else is in that book. Mm-hmm. Fascinating book so far. But I also got the the A to Z of Jehovah's Witnesses and then people who were formerly in it. So I think we're trying to get a nice wide swath of experiences mm-hmm. and stuff. But, you know, we'll talk about it on the episode. But this is a such a widespread thing and it was intended that way. Oh, yeah. 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 They, it's a, you know, like... A lot of religions and cults, the ultimate goal is to have everyone believing the same thing. And if that means um, silencing victims and just systemic and uh, kind of accepted abuse for however long you've been around, 
that's not going to happen on my watch. I don't, I don't think that you should be allowed to just go around spreading your message when you're victimizing and sexually assaulting children yeah. a lot. Yeah, it will be uh, an in-depth two-parter and all the history and then especially the legalities of it, uh, yeah. what's happened more recently. So yeah, stay tuned. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Steph, and it is called A Visit to Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Hi, Christy and Heather. If you're reading us on the pod, thanks so much for sharing my story with your listeners. This is my second submission, and you have previously read my story about the weird happenings in my childhood attic bedroom and the spirit that constantly turned off my air conditioner. I love listening to you both each week and feel so lucky to count you as two of my favorite people to chat with during my long commutes to and from work. I'm waiting for the day for you to make it to Louisville so I can attend an in-person show. Maybe after my story, you'll be more interested in visiting my area. I wanted to share with you about my slightly illegal visit to Waverly Hills Sanatorium way back in 2001 before it was revamped and made into a popular tourist attraction. Waverly Hills is a former tuberculosis hospital and sanatorium that reports over 8,000 deaths on the ground and has long been a local legend of intense hauntings and paranormal activity. There have been visits from ghost hunters and many documentaries have been made over the years. As a senior in high school, my group of friends and I thought it would be a great idea to take ourselves on a little tour before we all left for college. At the time, Waverly was just a rundown old building with lots of local lore. It was rumored to have a security guard that watched over the grounds, but we decided to risk it. Did I mention that I went to an all-girls school and we were looking for a way to be just a little rebellious? On a Saturday night in late June, 13 girls, including myself, parked our cars at the end of a steep hill and walked the narrow trail up to the security gate. It clearly read, no trespassing, and monitored by security cameras, but apparently we weren't that worried about it. Once you made it past another waist-high barrier, you were faced with the eerily gothic but still beautifully haunting building. Waverly is nestled in the middle of an expansive mass of trees with very little life for several miles. Just outside of the tree line is a bustling highway and tons of shops and restaurants, but it's all easily forgotten when you are close to the building. To the right side of the building was an open doorway, only partially covered by a few nailed-in boards. We were easily able to squeeze through and get ourselves into the building. We were immediately hit with a coolness that shouldn't have been present during summer in Kentucky. I could feel a heaviness all around. We walked through crumbling hallways that still had old hospital beds pushed up against the walls and saw the massive amount of graffiti from other board teens that had made themselves at home. We were on the hunt for the 502 room, which was rumored to be the location of a documented death of a nurse from the hospital, and her ghost was said to be seen in the blades of broken glass that still hung in the window frames. We found the room, but did not see any sign of the nurse. We were really starting to spook ourselves as we heard sounds coming from all ends of the halls, but there was no way to prove if it was something haunted or echoes of our own voices ringing throughout the emptiness. After walking down a few more empty halls, we decided we were done and it was time to get out. As we made our way back to the boarded-up doorway where we entered, we thought we would try to find the entrance to the body chute 
but instead found ourselves face-to-face with the security guard we weren't so worried about when we arrived. He was about 19 and way more excited about his culprits being 13, 17, to 18-year-old girls than he should have been. He let us go with a warning not to come back, and that was the end of our night. Now, Waverly has become very commercialized with paid tours, a haunted house, and overnight adventures, which I can't bring myself to partake in. Although we didn't have an overwhelmingly haunted experience, I will never forget the cold, heavy feeling that I had when I walked into that first hallway. I hope you check out the link that I included and it sparks your interest in my area. I would love to have you visit Louisville and maybe do a show at the Palace Theater. I'd love to. I'd love to come and I would definitely do a tour and... Possibly an overnight at the Waverly Hills Sanatorium. I'm uh, if anybody's got any hookups, we would love to go. I would go and sleep there. I don't care. Oh, I do care. I, I, do, I do care. I, I don't want to ter- sleep there, but I do an overnight <laughs> with some professionals. I would. Do I um. Do you remember this weird show on MTV a long time ago where they would basically take a group of strangers to a haunted place like this and then <laughs> no. just. They would spend the night and they, they'd have like a, a like trailer where they world. would all, do you not remember this? No, but it sounds like haunted real world. It's like it seven strangers, it one was. ghost. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And they had like a trailer oh, where no. there would be monitors so they could, cause there were cameras like all over whatever haunted institution, institution they chose. So the people in the cast could watch what's going on as various other cast members would like receive tasks that they had to go do would be like you have to find room 502 and sit in the dark by yourself for 15 minutes you're talking about mtv's fear is that i thought it was called fear but then i thought i was okay so it was called fear oh fuck yeah it originally aired from 2000 to 2002 and spawned the genre the yeah. spawn the genre of what? It just says period. It spawned the genre, <laughs> period. It says the it's five, genre. You're right. Five or more contestants who are left in an allegedly haunted location and led on a series of dares over two nights. Look at that. Fuck. You do when they got there, because they would be picked up in a van by, you know, an MTV producer, and then they would have bags put over their heads so they couldn't tell where they were going. <laughs> And then once they got to the haunted location, they would make them get in like a line and hold on to the person in front of them and walk with these bags over their heads to the trip. So all of it, you know, from the beginning is very spooky and disorienting. And then you got to do stuff like this. I don't remember if there was a cash prize or if it was just for fun, (laughs) but this has very much those similar types of vibes. Right. Like young folks going into Mm -hmm. empty, going to empty, going to a haunted location um, it says that, yeah, if you, uh, after two nights, any contestants remaining in the game are directed to the location of their monetary prize and each collects $5,000, except in the pilot, you only got 3000 Damn. <laughs> it was only bumped up two more when they yeah, got okay. it. Well, I don't remember. I, I imagine the uh, reward was, you know, in like the most haunted area. So yeah, you had worst. to really want it, but. There you go. MTV's Fear, RIP. I'm assuming it's no longer on. But No, once Joe Rogan had Fear Factor, people are like, why isn't anyone eating bugs on this? Ugh. And then they changed it. I just want to say, side note, cannot stand when any type of show does that. 
And I think that they should all have to stop. It's, Mm -hmm. it's unnecessary. It's, it's triggering for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And like, you don't need to eat a live tarantula on a show to win money. It's not necessary. And you're taking the life of a tarantula. And that's all (laughs) I'm going to say about it. Like, even if it's crickets and bugs and stuff, like, it's just, there's other things you could make them do that don't involve eating live creatures on TV. Yeah, there's something to be said with hindsight, the debasement of others for mm-hmm. monetary gain to be like, wow, you must be so desperate for money that you would eat a tarantula versus like, hey, man, what's going on in your life? Where can we maybe <laughs> help? Or like, hey, what's like something you're really proud of that you can do really well and do it so well and we'll give you five grand or so, you know, like, listen, I know it's crazy, but I can hit a hole in one at the the haunted golf course in Gurney Mills, Illinois. And they're like, all right, if you can hit the hole in one, we'll give you $10,000. Uh, and he yeah. like practices and works at it. Just like a weird, that's my game show. It's like, we'll give you 50 grand. If you do something that blows my mind, I'll give you 50 grand. And it's something that you love and not extreme. Oh, stab a screwdriver. Any dummy can do that. I want to see, I can eat a bug right now. Yeah, what this all it is is overcoming your own yeah. issues with it. But if you can somehow shoot a nothing but net shot yeah. from across the court to the other basketball goal with one hand, you get one shot in yeah. like Eminem style. I'll give you twenty thousand dollars, not from yeah. my own personal bank because I don't have that. No. but I will. I I would support and watch a show that that rewarded people for doing things like that. We're talking about the hypothetical future initial show on the definitely going to happen, but not really any real plans. Sinisterhood media network where we have television (laughs) shows that we produce. And I think I'll give you 50 grand is a great start. And like you said, Eminem, if you said, okay, well, there's an Eminem concert. And if you can go and on stage in front of Eminem, rap all the words to lose yourself. Successfully and like nail it. And and the crowd is behind you. Yes. I'll give you 50, 50 grand. grand. I get, 50 and that's grand. the name of the show. I'll give you 50 grand. I'll give you 50 grand. Dot, yeah. dot, dot. But dot, you got it. You got to do it successfully. We're going to sit down. I'm going to say, what's your greatest fear? And they're going to be like, you know what? I don't, I can't really tell my son how proud I am of him. And it's like, <laughs> all right, we're going to do it. We're going to get your son here. And you're going to sit in front of him. And you're going to say all these years you've been withholding, but really you've been really proud. I'll give you 50 grand. <laughs> And then y'all, y'all can do whatever you want. Go, go on a great vacation. Go to Disney World. I will, I to this day, and I probably saw this, oh my gosh, I don't know when Fear Factor was even on, but I was probably in high school or very like late, late 1920. Joe Rogan had people lay in a coffin, (laughs) the one of the contestants while do you know what i'm about to say no i just really like the phrasing of it not the premise of the show you're like joe rogan took a person (laughs) and forced him into a coffin him personally there weren't even cameras we heard about this later i heard on the streets that this happened no i (laughs) saw it with my own eyes no the one of the contestants laid in a coffin Mm -mm. that had like the the top off while the other one dumped a bucket of live rats on them and they just had to stay in there for like two minutes nope do you know how upsetting that must be for the rats yeah they don't want to crawl all over a person's body or a person i mean they have feelings they they might be scared or anxious i'm sure it stresses them out to be in a giant bucket and then all of a sudden they're just tossed on top of somebody Mm -hmm. that's screaming with goggles 
And then they don't even get a share of the prize Dude, money. Of goggles. Yeah, no one's giving <laughs> the rats a big bucket of cheese afterwards. Going, Good job, buddies. You crushed it out there. Right. They, you need union representation for the rats. I hate yeah. it. I hate it. Yeah. I hated that show. I, I'm glad it's off the air. But <laughs> you know what? Your- He's Joe Rogan's doing okay, everybody. So don't worry. Nope. Yeah, I don't think he's upset. doing fine. Fear factors off the air. I think he's doing all right. Yeah, we're doing it opposite. He went game show host to podcast. Now we're going podcast to game show host. You know what? That's okay because we'll see you. The devil rules the airwaves. The devil's also going to rule streaming services. <laughs> the devil rules the streaming service. <laughs> Sinisterhood Media Network. Uh, we'll see you on the next episode of I'll give you fifty grand for that. <laughs> I'll give you fifty grand. Yeah, yeah I mean, grand. but it's you. You it's not going it. to be as easy as you think because no, we're I'm gonna, not going to. Yes, we got to vet everybody that applies. The beginning of the sentence is, "If you do da 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 da, I'll give you fifty grand." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this because I'm I'm really looking forward to what people are going to challenge themselves to do. Exactly, for 50, you fifty thousand dollars yourself. Mm-hmm. We're not going to pour rats on you. No, I'm not going to make you eat anything you don't want to. If someone said, I used to watch Fear Factor and I thought I could go all the way on that show, we'd be like, all right, we're going to do a reenactment of Fear Factor. We'll get Joe Rogan here. <laughs> and if you can get through, I'll give you 50 grand. <laughs> if you can get through without, with minimal training. Yes. And by that, I mean, you can like practice a couple of times. But if you can get through the Ninja Warrior course. Oh, yeah. With minimal training on one try, I'll give you 50 grand. Dude, Gallo went to law school with the Ninja Warrior, and it is in fucking incredible what she can do. I and she's a lawyer. Have no upper body strength. I would immediately fall in the water. I prob my fingertips would just ah, they, <laughs> my hands would just give out, and I'd end up in the water. <laughs> well, if I could, if it was a jump street style one, I feel like I got my childhood trampoline skills are transferable. But yeah, no arm shit. I'm out. I'm no, out. I have such weak arms. It's weird. <laughs> I hear you. Same though. <laughs> I can relate, honestly. Oh man. Sinisterhood will be right back. This next one is from Abby. The subject line is premonition. Hey y'all. First off, I want to say that as a Texan and as someone whose partner, Dave, has a thick Matthew McConaughey twang, I love hearing the accent represented in the pod world, especially when it's also all about the spooky things I love. Speaking of Dave, that's where this story begins. Dave and I have been together 10 years. In all those years, while I've broken many bones, rollerblading and clumsy walking is apparently a blood sport in your 30s, and often get sick thanks to my previous job as a special education teacher, this man has been to the doctor exactly once to get stitches in his face after a bike accident. Even that took some coaxing because this man is stubborn as hell, took a grown-ass man fainting at the site of the injury to convince him that medical attention was necessary. But about two years ago, he started getting an odd rash around his torso. It would pop up for a couple of days and leave for months. It wasn't very bothersome, and he didn't think much of it, but my diagnostician brain was whirling. You see, my current job has to do with disability. I spend hours and hours every day poring over thousands of pages of strangers' medical records to see if I can get them disability. I see wild stuff constantly and know all too well how something small can end up being something big. Despite my detailed inspections with his begrudging consent to be examined, I still found no sign of any serious malady. One night, though, I had a very vivid dream. Most of the time, I lucid dream, 
and it can be hard to force myself to let go because it isn't restful. Often I work in my sleep, going to bed thinking about medical mysteries and then waking up knowing what I need to do. But this night, I had a nightmare. In my dream, Dave was dying of cancer. He was hospitalized and we knew it was only a matter of time. I woke up from the dream screaming and Dave ran into the bedroom from where he had been playing late night video games. I yelled at him to take his shirt off and with wide eyes, his stubborn ass could see the look on my face and actually complied. I crawled out of bed, immediately turned him around and pointed at one of his five million freckles in the middle of his back and said, this, this needs to go. I pointed directly at a certain spot and scared him badly enough that he found a dermatologist appointment the next day. Sometimes it's useful to be uninsured in Austin, Texas, apparently. I'm so pale that I glow in the dark, but to be honest, the freckle wasn't giving off warning signs. I just knew. For a little background, my dreams are kind of a running joke. I scared my family as a baby by telling them random, detailed stories about strangers that turned out to be true. At my work, I've told five women, oh my gosh, I had a dream you were pregnant with a baby boy or girl. Congrats. Three of them I got before they even had an inkling that they were pregnant, and I was right for every gender. I dreamt about my mom getting remarried, down to the fact that he was seven foot tall with a cowboy mustache, but talking like a Canadian. I knew when two of my high school friends passed. Now, being a good Irish-American family with lots of people with odd knacks, we laugh and just say, ooh, creepy. So Dave goes to his appointment where he's poked and prodded. The nurses and dermatologists all told him that they thought everything looked fine. He quite blatantly told them, if you don't biopsy this, you'll have a wild witchy woman storming in here in under an hour to throw a fit, so why don't you just do it anyway? They laughed and finally agreed, making happy wife, happy life jokes the entire time. Fast forward three days, a Friday. Dave gets three calls in a row while he's showering. He finally peeks around the curtain and sees it's the dermatologist's office and answers it. Turns out that biopsy? It was positive for an extremely rare, extremely fast-moving skin cancer that was already moving in the next stage. They told him then and there that he would have to come in on Monday, first thing, to have surgery. The scar is about six inches long diagonal and two inches wide. He just celebrated two years of complete remission, verified with scans and not just visual inspection. He often tells people if we would have never met, he would have been dead at 43. My favorite responses that he's gotten so far are, hand fast that witch, hell, do it again every year just in case. <laughs> I'm so grateful that I trusted my gut and even more grateful that he trusted my witchy vibes enough to actually go when he really needed it. Trust your gut and listen to your witchy lady. Love y'all muchly, Abby and Dave. This is one of the best premonition dreams or stories I think we've got because oh, to, yeah. to be able to point exactly to where it needs to be. The specificity is incredible mm -hmm. and convenient. I mean, it's great. You didn't have to go to any really like a long, like, oh, well, you went to my primary doctor and they didn't know and I got a referral or whatever. You just dream about it and your wife wakes up and goes, it's that one. Yeah, you just need to get yourself a witch and right? they'll tell you exactly when you need to go to the doctor. I'm very, very glad that Dave listened and didn't. Just, you know, chalk it up to, ah, whatever. It was just a dream. You know, you can tell when someone is just like, okay, well, Abby's on one. Yeah. Or you're like, Abby is going to come in here and throw a fit if y'all don't take a little snip snip of that. So why don't you just go ahead and do it?
Right? It's like she saw something real and she's like, I wasn't dreaming. I was somewhere else. And it's like that there's something, I feel like there's categories of dreams, whether you mean psychologically or like spiritually, but there's certain dreams I have where I'm just like, like Abby said, I'm just like working. I'm just like, oh, okay, I'll go to an office, I look out the window. And then other ones where I'm an adventure, other ones where someone just sits me down and tells me something. So it's wild how how those come to us and what they all mean. Yep. Dreams certainly are. Well, I'm very glad that Dave listened to you, Abby, and that's a pretty cool superpower you got. So right. Getting everybody's uh, pregnancy spot on and like knowing, you know what they're having before. Sometimes they even knew they were having Mm -hmm. anything at all. But it's funny that this morning I was on Reddit and someone was asking about mysteries and someone shared a personal mystery and it was a dream she had had, and it was a dream they had while working as a prison guard. And they very they dreamt very specifically that one of the inmates had attacked them. Very specifically with a, the they saw the weapon in the dream. And it was a, this razor blade attached to a, a toothbrush, this certain color, whatever. And had a visceral feeling of being cut with it and feeling mm. the blood and just very visceral and didn't remember leaving work the night before and then woke up after that dream and then at work the next day they searched that person's cell and found that like exact weapon that they had dreamed about and said it's just so weird i felt like maybe i died and wow. that, that dream was actually me dying but then i woke up in a different timeline <gasps> i can't explain it they said um I don't remember going home the night before my dream. So am I dead? No matter what comments say, I'll never be 100% convinced because what if the afterlife is just a parallel of the universe? So what if in my original universe, my family is still mourning my death? Oh. It's like so eerie. So I read that at like <laughs> eight o'clock this morning and I was like, oh, cool. I have to just like go do stuff today now. <laughs> no, and that. And then the comment, someone said, I've seen reports like this. I can't think of what it is. And then, of course, it's Reddit. So someone came through and was like, quantum immortality. And then that's a rabbit hole I went down. So we'll probably do an episode on that because I'm real obsessed with it. <laughs> I had never really considered before that there are people out there walking around that are like, I don't really know if I'm alive or dead. And yeah. what a mental fuck that must be. Right. To just be like, I know what I felt and I know what I've experienced. And this is a weird one. This is a weird timeline. Yeah. But in this timeline, that person is still alive and with their family, but they're saying maybe in another timeline they're gone and their family is mourning them. I believe that the theory from my brief understanding, when I sent that article to the group chat this morning, I said, I don't know what the hell this says, but the pictures are sure nice (laughs) because I was trying to read it. But like I said, we're going to do a whole episode on it. But from what I understand briefly, it is your consciousness is everlasting, but it is it can be when you die, you're sort of reassigned to another timeline. So I may have been hit by a bus in Chicago in some timeline, but my consciousness woke up the next day and I kept on going and I finished college and then I finished law school and da da da. And there's various theories on whether it splits on a major event or if it splits on a minor event. But we got to talk in a little sneak preview for all listen to this Freaky Friday. In several weeks, you will hear our interview with the fellows from the Chaluminati podcast. And we got a slightly a little bit chatting about that. But that kind of idea that there's splits and what did the splits mean and what does that mean for extraterrestrial visits? What does it mean for ghosts? What does it mean for premonition dreams? If there is this sort of centralized for manifestation and for, mm-hmm. you know, making your own reality and stuff like that. It's, it's all, I love all, I love all that shit. I, I love all that shit. Love it. I mean, I could talk about that stuff for hours and hours because it's, 
so fascinating. And while I used to be terrified of death, I mean, that might be one of the biggest things that's changed since doing this show is the only really sadness and fear I get now thinking about death is that I won't be here for my children or right. for Tommy and, you know, to see them grow up or more importantly for them to have a, a mom. But the fear of like, it just like ending has kind of left for me because I don't know what goes on out there, but you know, if energy can't be destroyed and what is our consciousness, we don't even know what that is. You know, we know right. the brain, but like how the thoughts works, how do all that shit, how, how do we think about stuff? How yeah. does a thought pop up? How, what is remembering it? I don't know. People smarter than me probably are like, uh, it's exactly this and give a textbook definition, but I don't know. But I'm just mm -hmm. saying, I think the thought of like timelines and things continuing, but maybe just a bit different. I find comfort in that. No, definitely. No, I would think the, the scientific explanation is, well, there's just like uh, neurons and synapses fire off. And it's like, well, yeah, but how does that create consciousness? And even still, then it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I tell you I'll, why. You know what? It. I'll give you 50 grand if you can tell me <laughs> how it works. We'll give you 50 grand. <laughs> That's the first You got to explain it. You got to explain it. And it's like, got to make sense to everybody. And we all got to agree. Okay. Well, this is worldwide acceptance of this well, theory. I, we have to tell you, I feel like we have to disclose it as hosts of this game show that the 50 grand is locked in a big glass pyramid in $1 bills and it's been stacked up. <laughs> So you can have it. We just, you transport it on your own. You have to figure that out. We don't offer like shipping. We're not giving you, you a big check. I know, no, I know you check. thought you were getting a big check because, you know, cash. we're funny. We want to do that. But we thought that is funny, but it's been done. You know what hasn't been done? $50,001 bills stacked <laughs> on top of each other in a glass pyramid. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and in the middle is a big Illuminati eye, and that's where we pop through to start the show. <laughs> and there's a little catwalk, and we walk down it, and we're like, we'll give you 50 grand. And we point at it behind us, and then we get our contestants up, and they tell us, it's kind of a deal or no deal set. It is, but <laughs> there's no suitcase. <laughs> no, no, no suitcases. But we I was do just have... thinking about that 30 rock. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're holding the gold case. <laughs> Which one has the gold in it? That one. <laughs> that one, that one right there. Fucking John McEnroe is the host. He's if we're ever out sick, John McEnroe will host. We'll give you fifty oh, grand. <laughs> I'm not a, giving you a, fifty grand for that. On yeah, a list yeah. of fifty celebrities that could host in our absence, he's not on my list. I don't. <laughs> maybe, he's number one. He's number maybe one on he's list. number one. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh no, what a well, time. Uh, all that to say, Abby and Dave. Good. Thank we're, you. We're very happy that you're both doing so well, especially yeah. Dave. That's that's awesome news. And Abby, I think, I mean, you literally saved his life, and that's yeah. something you can use for the rest of yours anytime you need anything. Oh, <laughs> Just certainly. Like, Could you? Would you? Can mind I remind me? you that you would have been dead at 43 had it not been for me? Oh hell, baby, I'll go get you another diet coke. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, thanks, Abby. And Dave, congrats on the two years. Sinisterhood will be right back. This next one's from Emily, and the subject line is, My friend, the Wendigo. Hi, y'all. I never quite know how to start emails, so I'll add the traditional love your podcast. 
My partner and I lived apart for many years, and you ladies kept me company on my long weekly drives to see him. My partner is Mississauga Anishinaabe, and I'm white as heck. We live together on reserve, where we can trace his family presence back to before European contact. I want to share some additional info that I've learned about the cultural importance of the Wendigo, at least where we live. Here, the Wendigo is never considered a cryptid, though we have a ton of those. It's instead a spirit or spiritual presence. While the tradition of the cannibalistic Wendigo is also present here, it's also seen as part of the contrary tradition. A contrary is someone who acts in backwards ways to show everyone else why certain social expectations exist. For example, in ceremony, a Wendigo would walk backwards. Or, if you're supposed to enter a ceremony in the East, they would enter in the West, or, in several notable incidences, through the wall of a lodge. They also have very important roles in the Anishinaabe sun dance tradition. Just as you can become the dangerous type of Wendigo by the spirit coming to you in your dreams, so can you become the contrary type. When the Jesuits arrived, they really leaned hard into the negative side to the Wendigo to bring people towards Christianity. Also, if you ask a Wendigo if they're cannibals, they will say yes and probably tell you how tasty people are because they're contrary. They answer in what is not true. One of our good friends is contrary, and this is why I can close the story by saying I have seen a Wendigo running through the house in SpongeBob boxers giggling up a storm. I hope this info is interesting to you. My husband and I both work in education and love to spread information about indigenous cultures. We both enjoy your episodes for the amazing research and humor. Much love, Emily. I love finding out things like this. And I, Emily, thank you for, in all of our research, I never came across this. And this is why we, just like with the Jehovah's Witness, we would rather hear from people that, you know, are part of this culture and can shed light on things that a book might not have. Right. Or you might say, oh, well, this, the only writings are written by colonizers because it mm -hmm. is a largely oral tradition. And so you would have to be present, be around in that tradition, but it, it is leaning more towards saying, this is an indigenous author. This is an author from this specific tribe, this region, et cetera. So we love that. Yeah. And I love that you both want to share that culture with everyone else. And also a Wendigo running through the house in SpongeBob <laughs> boxers. I love that idea. But the, the contrary, <laughs> the concept of this contrary, and yeah. that is kind of what you do see with the Wendigo of like, what happens if you leave the group and you forsake everybody else for yourself and you that these negative things can happen. So I can definitely see how that's connected. That's fascinating. I love it. Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing that with us. Much appreciated. Well, this last one is from Isabella. And the subject line is the Wendigo's cousin, La Lechusa. Hey, y'all. Greetings from good old Fort Worth. I wanted to share a memory from my childhood that I remembered after listening to your most recent episode covering the Wendigo. More specifically, the mentioning that Wendigo also translates to owl. Growing up as a Mexican-American little girl, I often bothered my mother for her recountings of all things spooky. From her stories of seeing the ghosts of her tío's smiling face watching her sleep in her grandmother's tiny South Texas home, to waking up seeing her own body sleeping below her, Somehow, my favorite stories were still those of common myths and legends from my heritage. Now, I had known about El Cucuy, La Llorona, and La Chupacabra, but La Lechusa was one I was blissfully unaware of till she came to visit me one night. For context, La Lechusa translates directly to little owl. However, it's believed that this is not just any barn owl, but something far more sinister. 
I was around 11 years old, and my mom and I were spending the weekend gearing up for Halloween. We spent Friday after school decorating and finished the night with a spooky movie marathon. The next morning, my tummy was warm and full from breakfast, and I stood in the kitchen with my mom while she did the dishes. I stood there yapping to my mom about something she probably wasn't too interested in. When she looked up and out the arched window over our sink, let out a small gasp. I looked out to see an owl sitting in our tree, seemingly peering down at us. I, unaware of the legend, thought nothing of it. Rather just shocked to see an owl in my tree as they're not something that's common in North Texas. That's when she said, look, la lechusa. Knowing what I know now, I would have flipped shit. But she simply left it at that, and I was left wondering what the hell that owl came from for the rest of the day. That night, as I tucked myself into bed, too cool and too old to let my mom do it anymore, was when I started to doze off, and I heard it. It sounded like someone with long fingernails was tapping and scratching at my window. My eyes popped open as I peered over to the noise, curious but afraid, the thoughts of all those movies from the night before still lingering in my mind. The tapping seemed to go on for a while, and then it stopped, and I finally fell asleep. The next morning, I mentioned the tapping and scratching noises at my window to my mom, and she looked up at me with her eyes wide. It was then she recounted to me the legend of La Lechusa. It's believed that this owl is not just any owl, but the spirit of a witch inhabiting an owl that goes and hunts in the night while her human body is locked away elsewhere. She specifically enjoys taunting and kidnapping children to feast on, and often taps the windows to draw them in. It has also been recounted that the face of the owl warps into the face of the bereaved woman before she attacks. I'm sure my face was pale by the time she finished, and my mother just carried on like it was nothing. I, however, spent the rest of my Sunday rearranging my room to get my twin-size bed as far away as possible from my bedroom window, just mildly traumatized from the events of the night before. It is important to note that prior to colonization, much of the culture and traditions of Native Americans and the indigenous people of Mesoamerica were very similar, but much of it has been lost due to the prevalence of Catholicism that was imposed on the indigenous people, and with it has transpired the disregard of Native legends, as it's now seen by many as paganistic witchcraft. However, this makes me wonder if the banishing of lost souls into the bodies of beasts and animals was far more common than we believe. I'm also curious if the translation of both La Lechusa and Windigo to Owl is simply a coincidence, or if these two legends are somehow related, or maybe not legends at all. We had two Windigo ones, and I wanted to include both of them because they were both so different, but both still so very interesting. Right. When you see some of these similar lines running through, not just from Mesoamerica through the United States, all the way up into the into Canada and, and even further north, how there was this whole it was not the same by any stretch of the imagination. All of these individual societies with all of these different ways of learning, but there is some mixing and matching and pulling just by, you know, human movement and interaction. And so that question of, you know, is it related or does the word come from some other word that was maybe lost because it was an oral tradition all mm -hmm. the way back then? Or we might have a like a ethno historian write us in and say, oh, yeah, here. So if you if you know that or if you know one, let us know. But that these type of legends always um, always fascinate me, 
especially the um, way that parents will sometimes deliver them of like, oh, yes, yeah. Lechusa. Anyways, go play. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what, you mean the owl that's really a witch that's going to eat me while I sleep? That one? Okay. I'm yeah. supposed to go about my Sunday. I mean, yeah. seeing an owl in North Texas. In the day. Yeah. In the day, especially. That's what I was going to say. Is, is very rare. So that in and of itself would be alarming. But then later you hear a little scratchy scratch and a tap on your window. No, thank you. No, thank you. I do think it's important that Isabella brought up the impact of colonization on mm-hmm. this cultural heritage and on what we would call now religions, but were spiritual practices, everyday practices, and how it was demonized and vilified. And I noticed that when reading these old ass letters from Jesuits on the Wendigo episode saying like it's a werewolf it's basically a monstrous werewolf that's going you know you've heard of this right it's and so like it's dangerous it, you should come yes. away from here you should come with us don't you want to be away mm-hmm. from the monsters and painting it in this kind of like negative light is fascinating mm-hmm. what that does and that is i'm sure an anthropologist or cultural historian's entire job is to like unwind how this mass movement of outsiders damages and destroys an underlying society that may, you know, seemed perfectly reasonable. Things were going fine until, yeah, as I say, but no, it's true. And you see this, this longstanding centuries later impact where thankfully there's the good stewards of that culture have survived and folks like Emily and, and her partner and wanting to share that story and Isabel and everybody here writing stuff in. That's how it lasts. That is how it lasts is through storytelling passing those stories down and then getting them on a podcast where it's recorded and as far as I know, you can't destroy it. It's like energy, right? Yes. You can never, you can never destroy them. They're on, (laughs) they're there forever. Never. If you can destroy our podcast, I'll give you 50. God, no. There's, just kidding. I feel like more that, that would be the easiest, no. w- easiest fifty grand of all the scenarios we've we've um, described. I am, I'm like Michael Scott in the Michael Scott Paper Company when he's like, "I'll make another paper company and another one and another one after that. I'll never stop." I'll you have no stop. idea. We have sinister how and how? we tell you how to do things evilly. Yeah, we tell we have um, sinister that's home. sinister. Yes. And that, yeah, we sinister home, we've sinister cul-de-sac, yeah, which sinister. is kind of, yeah, it's just a tiny one. It's a tiny little. Sinister cul-de-sac is the sequel after sinister home is where your house isn't haunted and we come in and we get spirits to haunt it. And now it's haunted forever. <laughs> sinister cul-de-sac is when we do that to a complete cul-de-sac. And we've oh, <laughs> like the burbs. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. See, I'm living out my childhood dream, which is essentially oh. living on the same street as the burbs. What I recently <laughs> was told, though, by Heather is... I'm not Tom Hanks. I'm the other one. <laughs> You're the best friend. <laughs> oh no, I'm the one that moved in. Oh, that's right. I Never mind. You're the bad guys. <laughs> We're not though. We're not the no, bad you're not. guys. Not bad but guys. But the ones that the, the mysterious the spooky, spooky neighbors <laughs> that have moved in. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, it's like the burbs. So I was like, yeah, new neighbor moves to town, a bunch of crows show up. There's a law lo- a familiar, they hear the squeals of the demon sounds of a pig, like yeah, some new neighbors yeah. did show up. They wrecked what we had. There's puffs of smoke and cackling of witches in the back. It's me and you, by the way. We're the witches. Cackling. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. They fine. buried something in the front yard today. That is true. We were digging in our front yard today, much like the... See? Sinisterhood will be right back. There was a tragedy in the Wallace Brown household. Oh, please. Let's, may we remember? Well, may we remember Fishy, who <gasps> Fishy. Yeah, we 
we transferred all of the fish that were in our fish tank in our living room to a smaller fish tank in Ella's bedroom because she wants to have a pet. And we were like, oh, well, you can take care of the fish and stuff. And so many have died and all of our snails that honestly, they're living in like a mansion when they could do with like a single family home. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> so the downgrade was fine. But one of them, I guess the move was too much and he didn't survive the move. So Mm-mm. we had to uh, bury him in a... Um, contacts box and dig a hole in our garden out front and then you know say a little thank you fishy for what you've done for our family and then she got to have cotton candy flavored ice cream which she forced me to try and truly that was more upsetting than the loss of fishy whenever i go to the dentist and they're like we have the fluoride do you want cotton candy chocolate or mint i was like oh no mint always but always she goes do you like it and i said well you know, I know it, they did a good job of making it taste like cotton candy. That's exactly Accurate. what it tastes like. I personally am not a fan of cotton candy flavored things. So it's a little too sweet for my taste, but I get why you like it. It's honestly such a borderline compliment to be like, you did this accurately. <laughs> the flavor of it is correct. It does taste like good. cotton candy, but that's just not my thing. So I'm not trying to slurp that down. Well, may angels take thee to thy rest, fishy. <laughs> And we will be, you know what? He flopped into another timeline. So somewhere, somewhere out there, he woke up, like, he's back in that other tank. He's like, <laughs> I didn't want to f- fucking downsize. Although that loss is his because she's got like a little, she's got a cute little dragon and a little oh, tiki nice. guy. It's a cool little setup she's got in her fish tank. Yeah. Don't let the size fool you. It's an improvement. <laughs> Oh, R.I.P. Fishy. Well, thank you. Well, thank you also for everyone that sent in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of all sorts of bonus content. We have mm-hmm. several mini-sodes up. We've got some Dear Sinisters, some Am I the Assholes. Oh, we recently just did a new one about high school, the high school incident from listeners. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. Christy taught everybody what gigum really means. Mm-hmm. So tune in and find out. You're welcome, College Station. <laughs> well, you can also head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out our Sinisterhood merch. We've got t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, clothes for your kiddos. We recently launched a new crew neck sweatshirt that's very cute. We have a hoodie with kangaroo pockets in the front so you keep your stuff in it. It's all cozy for the winter. We got a plastic water bottle with a little uh, straw that I like. It's that camelback great. straw. Got that old, that old pinchy straw. So head over to SinisterHood.com, click shop on the top banner. I got to have pockets in my hoodie. So otherwise it's game over. No, I, I got to have and kangaroo pouch is my favorite. Yeah. Nothing ever gets, you don't have to remember which pocket you put it in. It's all Mm-mm. in one pocket. It's right no there. Drops. And you can keep your hands warm. Cozy. Well, while you're there checking out the merch, you can also review the show, follow us on socials and check out the episode description for more fun, like topic based playlists. And then whenever we have links to live shows we do or any kind of fun thing we're involved in, we'll put them there too. 
You can get our tickets to Obsess Fest October 20th through the 22nd in Dallas, Texas, right there at sinisterhood.com. Click live shows and you can, you know, the link will take you there. There's different uh, types of tickets. We're going to be there the whole weekend, all the way down to the Sunday drag brunch. So I think it might be sold out. You, I don't know, you might have to go on like Facebook or Reddit and get like second party tickets for the drag brunch. It's going to be a hot, hot item. So we'll They're be trying there. to get the Guinness World Book record of most attendance at a drag brunch. So, you know. I think so. It looks like they're going to do it if it's sold out, right? So uh, it's October twentieth through the twenty second in Dallas, Texas. You can also follow us on Instagram and X. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see any article that mentions X in parentheses, it has to say formerly Twitter because no one knows what X is. And also now we're just printing Twitter. Why don't you just call it Twitter? Eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sinisterhood Pod. You can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We're on YouTube at Sinisterhood Podcast. Same with TikTok. And you can head over to Cameo.com, search Sinisterhood, and you can order a custom personal video shout out. We say happy birthday, happy anniversary, any of that good stuff at Cameo.com and search Sinisterhood. Where are you at online? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I am on Instagram at Heather versus the world, and it's the same everywhere else. Also Heather versus the world. (laughs) (laughs) As always, the devil rules the airwaves, and soon the devil's also going to rule streaming services. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it creepy from us and John McEnroe. in it.